welcome back to Bally Bunyan, to the Women in Media and Women in Leadership podcast. Uh, Carol Hunt, Barbara Scully, myself, Sarah Carey, and Angie Mazzetti are all here for a small revival of the Women in Media conference um, that takes place in Bally Bunyan normally every uh, Easter, but has not taken place for three years. It's 2022. We're finally back. Um, Barbara, maybe just a word about Women in Media. Sure. and. I remember I used to see it going on before I used to come here and it looked like a kind of cliquey little girls thing and um, and I felt excluded and you said, Sarah, get your arse down there. I did. You did. And I found it really enriching because I think a lot of people don't realise the way media works and particularly for people like columnists and that is we don't meet each other. Yeah. It's not like an office yeah. where you have, well, used to have in the olden days when there was an office mutual support from people we were all plowing our own furrows and it could be challenging and isolating especially when you're in the opinion business sure so i found it fantastic to meet other people and find out what everybody else is up to is yeah i suppose you know kind of crashed into contributing to media about 10 years ago with no kind of background in it and knowing nobody and everything else it's one of the things that i always you know you hear about how women are bitchy to each other and don't support each other it's totally untrue Mm. Uh, in my experience women in media Mm. and I, i presume in other industries as well are extremely supportive of each other and so yeah women in media is a mm. wonderful gathering as you say mm. takes place mid-april every year uh, here in beautiful bally bunyan with the beach on our doorstep and the weather is always amazing um a great and idea it, by joan yes yeah. yes joan and it's a fantastic she bring joan o'connor who's the proprietor here of kilcooley's hotel which is where we are and where women in media is based brings together an amazing group of men and women and we have some great conversations um, and it's always great crack as well which is a bonus and I think it's important to mention that there will be the conference won't be taking place this year but there will be a a satellite event to the Listowel Writers Week on the June Bank holiday weekend here in Kilcoolies which is being cooked up as we speak so Keep keep uh, keep an ear out and an eye out for and that. And one of those events, Barbara, is going to be about your book because while people were doing lots of interesting things in COVID, either losing weight or putting on weight or going for walks or you know uh, binge watching Bridgerton, you wrote a book. I let my hair go grey and I wrote a book. Yeah, I did write a book and it's called Wise Up and it'll be launched at the uh, end of May. So yeah, be excited. It'll be, it'll be in shops. Do you know, I'm at the stage of, well, first of all, writing a book was way harder than I ever thought it was going to be. I mean, well, I've never written more than, well, you know, when you're writing columns, it's about 800 words. If I'm doing a feature, it's about 1,000 to 1,200. I'd never gone beyond that. And I have the attention span of a goldfish. So I, 10,000 words was about as far as I ever got. And then I got bored. And you say, if I'm getting bored, like the reader's <laughs> going to be like, you know, completely fed up. So I, I just had this mental block about it. And then trying to, you know, you could write away, you know, you come down in the morning and you sit at your desk and you write away. And my book is nonfiction. Um, and then you'd realize, what's this got to do with anything? Like, what is this? It was trying to corral it into a kind of a narrative that made some kind of sense. And what is I it about? Very difficult. Well, it's called Wise Up and it's about power and wisdom in older women. So all the topics Sarah loves. So it's it's basically about life after menopause. I actually um, There is life after I menopause. Know, absolutely just just to frame menopause. everyone in this uh, conversation, <laughs> there's been a lot of talk about women and aging and all of that. And I'm the person screaming in the corner going, I'm not aging. Stop talking about it. Sarah's only 25. Yeah. <laughs> will remain so no, forever. No, 42, I think, is a reasonable mature. I think I'm 28 on the inside. Right. I've always anchored myself at 28, which is completely farcical. I, I just hate I'm 36. Are you? Yeah. <laughs> I just hate I'm 60, and I'm happy to be 60, and I have no uh, I have no qualms about that. I have no issue with being asked my age. Um, 
You know, when you get to 60, you re- you've lost friends who haven't uh, made it this far. I think it's a privilege. And I, that's mm. not a, I mean, that yeah. sounds a bit touchy-feely, but I genuinely no, so mean true. that. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, and, and one of the things I talk about in the book is that once you get post-menopause, you have that delicious freedom of, freedom from your biology for the first time since you were 12. And that's a huge thing in women's lives. We learn to manage our biology from the time we're girls. You mean like you're not going to get pregnant? You're not going to get peri- you know, periods, you've oh, no pregnant, yes, you've no yes. trying to get pregnant. And then once you pass the menopause and all the stuff that throws at you, you're into this period of life where you just go, this is amazing. My kids are kind of more yeah, or less rare. Yeah, but some people kind of mourn that as well. But like, yeah, but you see, gone, you need to, you know. you know, the world is very often, I think, how you perceive it. So if you change your focus from mourning the things you've lost into saying, what have I gained? I've gained freedom. Woo-hoo. I now am free to do whatever the hell it is that I want to do. I actually don't give a crap that much anymore about what people think about the decisions I make, such as my hair or how I live or that whatever people think of my, well, that's not totally true. I'm terrified about what people think about the book, but you it's it's this delicious phase but you're also conscious that there is a clock ticking in the wings where you kind of mm. go if not now when if i'm going to write a book which i always wanted to do i need to do it now i don't i don't have the luxury of keeping putting it off and mm. kicking it down the road but that's a great motivator and i think that women potentially can be at their most creative their most troublesome um and their most powerful just want to say barbara trained. pointed at me <laughs> <laughs> Is that not your middle name, Sarah Troublesome Carey? I'm sure it was. Anyway, so what are we talking about? Okay, so we're going to have a look at uh, at COVID. Um, you know, assuming that we're kind of more or less Post kind COVID, of sort hopefully. of out of COVID now. Um, let's have a look at because I think there's there's lots of interesting. Can we things. do full confession here? Has everybody had it? Yes. Oh, guess who hasn't? Uh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Peter Pan. <laughs> Officially, I've not had it, despite Uh relentless testing. But uh, doctors have said to me, if you think you haven't had it, you have. That actually everybody has. But officially, I've never had it. So it is amazing. And my kids had it and we didn't make them isolate. And so I was running around exposing myself and nothing. But you don't have the brain fog or the... Uh, No, you didn't have it bad, obviously. (laughs) No, no, Mm -hmm. no. And I think there might be a risk in the future. I know long COVID is obviously going to be a major issue. I think we might fall into a trap of every time something gets wrong in you, we could file it under long COVID. Yes, I think yeah. that there'll be a diagnostic challenge there. Uh, GPs have already COVID. said that they're finding it very mm. difficult to diagnose what's long COVID. To work out. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. Because people's, mm-hmm. people's illnesses could get lost in the fog, literally, of COVID. You yes. had, you had yeah, a nasty yeah, experience and I did, COVID, yeah, and Carol. I was hospitalised, yeah, with, with it. And it was mainly in your... This? this is before the vaccines. Okay. So, just before the The end the of the first year, then, yeah. the end of 2020. Um, yes, and, um, yeah, I was hospitalised then. Just could you not breathe? How did it affect you? Breathing was fine. It was all neurological. Uh, again, migraines, rashes, conjunctivitis, brain fog, not being able to move practically. And it went on for months and months. And the brain fog was so bad. I was at one stage going, my personality is gone. I, my, I'm not myself because I couldn't do not yourself, read. I true. was not yeah. myself. And what do I do now? I have a complete. I'm a, I'm a different person. I can't think. I couldn't even string a conversation together. I would 
lose half and still I still have a little bit of a touch of it and um, your work is all around communication I know but did affect the brain hugely hugely yeah. affected the brain yeah. I was actually doing a master's in data science at that time and I had to check I know I couldn't I, I had to actually stop it mm. and I switched to um, a, a nice or just law and policy instead so <laughs> just law which, policy. which was in English so you see there were two things about it one was the randomness mm-hmm. so some people would just not get sick at all and then some people were I, like you it was like every Thing that had been wrong with me beforehand and there have been a plenty of things I was telling Sarah earlier that if I was a horse I would have been taken out and shot at this stage there are so many ailments but, but the other thing was the moral judgment um you know when when people, people got blamed it, you yeah. for it, yeah. you'd peep you, you would immediately what where were they no I, do. I actually couldn't because the only That's place I now, had been to it was when mm. we were in lockdown the only place I had been to with mask was the, uh, the supermarket yeah. fully masked that was the only place and nobody else I knew had it but even the fact that you feel the need oh, to, I explain. to explain yes no, exactly yeah. um, you know and there was a big element of yes. that once Omicron arrived that kind of ended because it was so ridiculous although there's still a feeling because we didn't get yeah. it our, my two daughters got it in uh, last summer uh, so they we had just been all vaccinated and then the two of them got it which you know I, I think again there was all the different phases of COVID like I remember when COVID kicked off first I thought, that this will last a few months. And sure, it's a grand excuse to kind of sit back and, you know, not really worry about anything. Go for walks and just chill until this thing passes. And then it kept going on. And then there was the vaccines. And this was Nirvana. We're all going to be vaccinated. So that's going to be it. And it's all going to be over immediately. And it's all going to be fine. And we had all just got vaccinated. And my two daughters got it. Um, and they, they weren't that sick. And they did isolate in their bedrooms. And Paul and I didn't get it. But then Paul and I got it in March. Just gone. Now, reasonably mild. Not major. But there was still that feeling of, oh, God. I failed like I actually got mm-hmm. it I thought I was not going to get it and now you, I got it you thought like Sarah thinks I thought like Sarah <laughs> yeah. thinks yeah I absolutely did but then there's yeah. that other guilt then that you think oh my god have I given it to somebody like yeah. somebody who, the worst. Yeah. who is trying to travel or you know that's really going to impact their lives in an awful way and that's that horrible sinking feeling it's like when you say something somewhere and you go Oh God! Did I really say that? Who's going to pass it on? You know. Um, so there, you know, it, it kind of messes with your head. Oh still, yeah, no, I there think. were plenty of mornings I woke up with a headache or a sore throat, and my first thought would be, Oh, oh no, Jesus, was yeah. I with my parents? Where was yes. I? Yes. And that's why I think it was the major effect. We are social beings, mm. and. The idea someone was comparing it to in a war, say in Ukraine, you know who the enemy is. They're the Russians yeah. and they're wearing uniforms. In this, your own family were the enemy. Uh, and that yeah. it had a much more profound effect um, on our systems. What do you mean your own family were the enemy? Because you could give it to me. I could okay. give it to you. You were the dangerous person to me, your sister, your brother, your husband, your wife. You know, for uh, parents, it was their own kids. Yeah. They were the enemy. I really felt the lack of physical touch, not yes. being able to hug my son who was living on the other side of the city or my daughters. Do you know what I mean? Not being able yeah. to kind of hold their hand, you know, just, you know, when you go in, you can't even see their faces because you're wearing a mask. So that physical thing really bothered me. Yeah. You know, yeah, and, you know and just not being able to recognise facial but, signals. But two great upsides where I thought um, the welfare state kicked in. And, you know, some of us were talking about last night about how random not just the infection was, but the impact it had on people's lives. So some people who were working from home and in white collar jobs still being paid, obviously people in the service industry, things like that, blew them out of the water. But the state kicked in and we came out the other side with social cohesion intact. And the other thing was science. Getting that vaccine invented and rolled out 
just extraordinary yeah so carol that sense of and i know there's been a lot of worry about uh, populism uh, polarizing politics did it rescue the center in any way do you think it did something for politics um, I hope so. And but uh, but if you're talking about Ireland politically, we're in a very very different place than anywhere else. But I think and going back to the welfare state, I do think that the, um, a strong welfare state is the mark of a civilized country. It really Absolutely. is, and it is just the most important benefit that we have. And I think because they kicked in so well and and did enough. They really, the government really kicked in really quickly. They didn't want to do it perfect. They just wanted to do it enough. So it yeah. wasn't perfect, but it was it was on time. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I think it showed as well processes and digital mm-hmm. reform have been happening in a way in the background, in a way that people hadn't even noticed. So with all this MyGovID and everything, yes. 650,000 people had money in their bank accounts within a week of the government shutting down. Mm-hmm. That couldn't have happened 10 years the ago. The POP was enough as well. Yes. And yeah. it kind enough. of makes it like a social yeah. welfare enough now because mm. it's not quite up to there. Yeah, but what I mean is the process work, the We're mechanisms were there mm. that mm. it could actually physically be done you, I mean, and to, done quickly. And yeah. To be a bit of a de- put a downer on all of that and I agree with all of that and we were beneficiaries of it, we would have been in real trouble because my husband who's the main breadwinner, his business just collapsed completely and immediately. So I was very grateful that the state made it so easy and so quick for us to access uh, the PUP. But it does also show that if there's a political will to do something, yes. we can do things. And why then are things that need to be done so difficult to get started in this country? And that frustrates me. Yeah. You know, it sh- and I mean, I, 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 was, I was reminded also of when Veronica Geeran uh, was murdered. Suddenly the state came in, we had cabs set mm-hmm. up, we had a whole raft of things happened really quickly. Um, and it just shows that very often the things, you know, and I don't want to get into a conversation about the housing crisis, but it just shows you that where there is a political will to do something, it can be done. Absolutely. I think some but of the unsung right heroes, and we know mm-hmm. about the heroes in the front line in, yes. the, in the medical sense, but a lot of civil servants yes. who come under a huge amount of criticism, yeah. oh, the civil service, yeah. the bureaucracy. Mandarin. They were yeah. phenomenal they, they because were. those systems could not kick into action mm-hmm. unless there was a lot of people in working the civil away. service yes. working long hours, yeah. doing the, the mundane number yeah. crunching, admin stuff. And a lot of them were women, Yeah, you know, because yeah. civil service yeah. is And you're right, and there is this constant kind of message that we're being given, oh, managers are terrible and civil service is lazy. But actually, they, they were kicked all working so their well. socks yeah, off. Yeah, they were. Yeah. And yeah. they went digital as well. So everything was yeah. online. You know, there were updates. Uh, the yeah. design and the graphics around it were, were phenomenal, the, I thought, from the, the beginning as well. Even the vaccination rollout was incredible. Was yeah. Do you know, I mean, mm. again, it just shows when we actually put our minds to it, we can make so, really Right, so on that, as women in media, and, just, and this is a general media thing, is the media guilty of... Criticise, criticise, knock, 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 creating cynicism, blaming when someone does make a mistake if they put their head above the parapet. You know, it's very corrosive. And is it telling the truth about Irish society? Well, from the other, taking it from the other point of view, when I worked as a a media advisor for government. To, you better say exactly what your job was. Um, um, Mm -hmm. um, Media advisor to a minister in the last government. Shane Ross, just say his name. (laughs) Say his name. I can tell you. Say his name, say his name. (laughs) That I did find, I I, I was astonished. First of all, I was astonished coming from journalism at at the amount of power the media had. Um, relative to their salaries, certainly, (laughs) or our salaries, the amount of power and the amount of um, policies that were reactive 
to media pressure. Right. I, I find that quite astonishing. Um, Old tail wagging dog syndrome. Yes. Mm. Um, also, I did find that a lot of media had particular agendas and that they would absolutely. Like um, what? Like an example. Well, if, if, you know, if they just wanted to, to see something a, a certain way or portray somebody a certain way. Or to think a head roll. That. Like I would think of oh, Phil yes, Hogan love, with a yes. big absolutely. one, you know. There has to be drama because they're having to sell papers. It's very, mm. very difficult. Everything is online. It's content, content, content. You can only have rolling content when you have things happening all the time. Mm. And things can only happen when there's drama. And drama there's is not usually, baddies, yeah, go- yeah. Mm. It is not usually a good thing. It means that there's some sort of distress. There's something yeah. going wrong. Um, and that's what it thrives off. And it's a whole... The other thing, the other thing I think that plays into that and is really interesting in the last you know two decades is the power of social media Mm. and the power of the people through social media. Like, and again, I don't want to get into a discussion about the National Maternity Hospital, but you know the the whole drive that there has been in the last just week to put a stop on the government signing off on that. And I know you disagree (laughs) with me on this, and we're not going to get into a conversation. (laughs) But the fact that social media can harness people power very, very quickly um, and very powerfully. But is it not polarising as well? It is it or not? There's no grey area. I don't think so. I think it's very polarising because a lot of people sit and watch Twitter and don't engage. And they're the the, kind of the messy middle. And you need need to... That's why democracy is great because everybody has a say. It's not not just people one side or the other. Yeah, and I'm not sure, Barbara, if you look at it in the round because the other thing that social media has done is like the personal abuse oh yeah no, that's politicians. different but yeah. it's not different because it's saying to the Stephen Donnelly's you know people like that like their families are watching all of this and experiencing all of this who would go into politics but I'm not, who I'm going not to public in any way don't you have a Fine Gael minister or former yeah. minister sorry TD deciding this week he's opting Joe McHugh, McHugh. Yeah. yes yeah opting out and and when I, and I've actually and, been a very good politician I've been starting to man. say to politicians why are you even on social media because if they post anything hundreds and hundreds of comments underneath and I think they should actually just get off it. Oh, I don't see great. what they're gaining. But I do think. What but you tell media, me what you think they're well, gaining. I, no, I do, no, I do think that social. What the, the point you're trying to make is that yeah. social media has removed the gatekeepers. Do you know what I mean? It has allowed each yes, of us to yes. have a well, voice there's, and to make our voice heard. But you have to be brave enough to use your voice. Yeah, you do. And I mean, I, I agree with you. There's a huge amount of toxicity on Twitter in particular, and there's a huge amount of abuse. But I mean, once you kind of rise up and look at it, a lot of it is by idiots. Yeah. And people who are just. Yeah, you know, that's but to take, I love going in and looking at their back and they've like three yeah, followers, three followers yeah. and they're you know but yeah. to take the point about um, how digital reform enabled the transferring of all that money into yes. people's accounts, that was something that was done very quietly over a 10-year period that never made a headline, that people on Twitter knew no, nothing about and was sitting there waiting yeah. to be triggered when it it's happened. Boring, so, Sarah, so it doesn't make the news. So, so do these noise, is, <laughs> is noise the metric of success? And I'm not sure noise is a metric of success. And I think and this would be a leadership issue for you, um, Angie, for people in decision making and leadership positions, the discipline to ignore the noise and keep going with the quiet strategy that will actually be there, like friends that we said earlier, that is there when it's needed. Mm. And but the problem with politics, the problem with our system yeah. of politics, which is very good in one way, but it's also 
quite difficult for politicians to constantly be beholden to their constituents. Yes. Constituents yeah. first. Yes, that and is, it yeah. doesn't matter how well-intentioned they are, how hard they work, how much they ignore, if they don't get elected. And it also leads to short-termism yeah. instead and of long-term term Which we need a lot Anyway, more. let's move along. This is, yeah. uh, this is all very worthy and everything. So has, has, has COVID kind of given us, I presume that's what you're going to have with well, any what positives. What are the things, <laughs> as, as women is, is specifically as well, uh, what are the things that changed in your life as a result of not having COVID, just living through a pandemic? Sarah. Um, okay, so so working at home meant the commute was gone. Yeah. Like just, a, what do they call it, a step change in the lives of an awful lot of people. Now, it also meant I was, and I had often worked a lot from home anyway, so this wasn't a massive thing for me, but I noticed it an awful lot of other women struggling to adjust a bit. It did mean you were child rearing and housekeeping and doing your, your day job as well. So there was far more juggling, but I think overall, huge benefit. And I know uh, a friend of mine worked in an organization where a week before COVID, uh, she had been asking HR, could she not work from home just two days a week? No, 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 we don't have systems for that. One week later, everyone's working from home. It's like you said about where is the political will? When you get political will, you can do something. Suddenly companies found people could work from home. I think that was number one. People who had already got those systems were able to switch straight away. They had to. If you wanted workers, if you wanted work done, it had to be done from home. So they didn't have a choice and it pushed And and it opens up a whole range of quality of life decisions because, um, you know, you can live in other places now. Yes. Do you think it made any difference to the, um, you know, all the studies have shown that women still pull the double shift. In other words, women who are working full time outside the home are still doing the vast bulk of childcare and housework and all of that. Do you think by both partners being at home that it made men... Statistically, Um, no. They actually, the the research has shown that... Irish men, um, actually, out of EU countries, um, were the ones who said that they did have the least problem balancing working from home with household chores. Because they didn't do it. Because they just didn't do it. Whereas Irish women had nearly the the most problem. The, The amount of hours, extra hours, that women all over the world had to take on by working um, at home was phenomenal. Well, and research in the States yes. has shown that COVID has been detrimental to women. Hugely. Hugely. Because a lot of women just gave up work altogether. Yeah. Yes. So then they're taking themselves yeah. out of the career ladder. Mm-hmm. So you're going to see that gap, you know, because that continues on. Yeah. So, you know, how do they get back in, you know? Yeah. And caring is a huge part of it. Yeah. I interviewed yeah. Catherine Day recently from, you know, oh, the yeah. Citizens Assembly on Gender Equality. Mm-hmm. And she said, and I don't think that that whole Citizens Assembly got nearly enough coverage I wonder about that too. But she was saying that, you know, from the men and the women, caring really came through. You're caring for children, caring for adults and the cost of childcare. Like Ireland is a complete outlier in Europe. And both men and women at the Citizens Assembly, a representative sample of the entire country, said it should be a lot closer to the European model. It should be free, yeah. and then it just liberates women. It liberates to go families. To work. It liberates yeah. families. Of course, it's men worth as saying, well. though, of course, that it's not free. It's just, just being paid for out of general taxation. So everyone but like schools are. To the state. Yeah. Like schools yeah. are, sir. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. We, 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 the taxpayer pays for schools, pays for hospitals. They should also be paying for childcare. The huge issue of caring, I think, is one that is never considered enough when we talk about gender inequality in every way. Because women... You have women who are on part-time jobs, women in low-paying jobs, women taking gaps, and it's all because at different times of their lives they're caring for other people. And all of this work that is unpaid, the entire capitalist system and it runs doesn't on it. mean that it's not work. Oh, just it's because it's not valued. Yeah, it's not valued. It's just that it has no value. Your friend, um, Thomas uh, Piketty, 
Oh, in yes. his book, oh, Sarah's yes. friend. Um, He's amazing. I have looked into his cold black, sexy French ads. <laughs> Capitalism <laughs> in the 20th century. In yeah. which he mentioned There's women's an abridged work version, by the way, which I is great. Yeah, I've, I have gone through it. And Sorry, say that again. He girl. mentions women's work about twice. He does not really. even comment on the amount of really. unpaid work that women that's the do. So he's not a good guy then, Sarah, it, look at it. Well, yeah. well, well, actually, on this, it's something I've thought about before, and it's when I've charted other columnists' careers and the themes that they focus in on. It's very risky and dangerous for people to look at society through a single prism. Be, for some, it's nationalism. For some, and for us, gender. it's gender. The only one you're actually safe using as a single prism is class. And that's what Piketty is doing. He's talking about class. So it's all about wealth. So there's a fantastic Netflix documentary on it. Mm. Have you seen it? Yes, no. I've seen that. And it's, it's really good. good. And it, yeah. it goes back to kind of the Jane Austen times yes. when wealth was kind of there. That's why they were so uh, into marrying the right way. So you kept the money within the class, yeah. within the class, within the class, if you know what I mean. Yeah. So it was all about the transfer. So it was only when war came along and, you know, everything was upset, World War One, and then there was no servants anymore. That yes. whole upstairs, downstairs model changed. People were and able to earn state. more money. Welfare state was huge. But if you look at our lives, we're, we've been focusing in on women's issues throughout this conversation. In actual fact, the biggest factor governing our lives is not our sex it's our class we're all middle class educated people we have a certain standard of living that we expect to maintain that we have lived we have certain expectations for our children we have a certain level of health which we can maintain because we have money our lives are governed by our place in society not so much by gender secondary gender secondary I, I don't know I don't I wouldn't agree with that because I think we we, we all change classes um, and yeah. particularly in Ireland at least we can be far more socially mobile yes. than elsewhere now if you're talking about the United States or even the UK increasingly yes class is because it's actually getting much more like it was during the time but of the jobs Jane that Eyre we have in that our income our expectations our lifestyle the thing we're middle always, class but the thing that's always bothered me and again looking at this from a female perspective is the fact that middle-class women, uh, except that we are, who are uh, in the workforce with small kids, are building their careers on the backs of women who are on yes. minimum wage looking yeah. after our exactly. children and cleaning our homes. And when they're talking about they want cheaper childcare, yeah. well, are you willing to pay the labour costs? You know, it's... And we well, if it was if it was state-run and state-administered... Yes. And properly paid. Then it would be pro- properly played, yeah. paid and properly and administered and standards. Yeah. Yeah. Wouldn't that be amazing? <laughs> yeah. But they would only do it when... What about... Uh, when but what I'm saying, Barbara, is if you were poor... Yes. And if you weren't sitting here in Ballybunion having a nice bourgeois conversation with us, you know, about the books we've read and all of that, your life would be much, much different. Yes, I know. Yes, yeah. I know. What about yeah. Braz? Yeah. <laughs> it's a big letdown. What about Braz? <laughs> Who abandoned their bra during oh, COVID? Well, not the bra, but certainly the underwire. They are gone. Gone. I actually went through Whose some idea of... idea was that? Like, why did anybody think some that misogynist was a good idea? Yeah, yeah. But do you remember that, that ad that used to... The push-up bras? Oh, hello, oh, boys. hello, boys. The, oh, cousin, the, the wonder bra. Yeah. The shite bra. It was awful. I mean, but I actually went to... But it was very hard until recently to go into a shop and find a bra that didn't have underwire. Yeah. Have you been to Marks and Sparks now? It's just oh, I've like given up wearing a bra underwear. at all. No, I love wearing a bra. No, I give up wearing oh, a bra at all. Not, I not, yeah, no, yeah. I know. I can. But the soft... <laughs> 
<laughs> but I went through the, all the uh, the underwire bras and took out the wires. They should see them. They're like you shape. You could use them as wires. Wires. Yes. wash very often. Yeah. You find these like yeah. you know <laughs> smiles, these wire <laughs> smiles that have come out of a bra. And I have been the Egypt. And then during COVID, when I never wore a bra, I thought I actually hate wearing bras. And the first thing for years that I have done when I come into that, especially in winter, four o'clock, getting dark, you come home, you're in for the night, your bra's off, and it's hanging on the banister is like a flag of arrival. You know, like a ship. <laughs> pulls into port puts, raises a flag brass on the stairs Scully's not going but anywhere I mean, that's I mean it was the, the, the call cry you know burn your bra in the original in the 70s but you know what really bothers me about the bra thing is that um, and I don't need a bra right I have no boobs don't need a bra um, so I was wearing a bra to protect people from being offended by my nipples oh yes the bridge rivets they call them yeah. well do you remember we did a show on this when when i was in <laughs> I news talk there. yes you were um and tom mcanini was on Paul's brain fog obviously yeah landed. and he said it's all about the nipple and it's released the nipple it's really yeah but yeah. that is a bit like you know back in the 70s when i left school and then in the early 80s you know, wear, wearing a T-shirt and no bra was quite acceptable. Mm. Do you know, it was quite sexy. Sunbathing topless was also the norm. I mean, it, it, yes. in Spain uh, or in yes. Portugal or wherever you were in your holidays. Um, how have we become so supposedly freer and more, you know, less of a Catholic controlled kind of society and more open? And yet we are this mad modesty about women's oh, well, well, the other one are the heels. That I think, and this was the whole sex. But what about the nipples? Thing. No, but yeah, what, do you know you can even I, in the, you go into the lingerie shops now and they sell these little petals. Oh, nipple, yeah. Just to cover the nipples. Yeah, my daughters have worn those with the yeah, dresses. Yeah. I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> what the hell? I mean, I don't get that. Because it's establishing norms, and this is what I was saying at the beginning of our previous program. When you establish a norm in society, people will do anything. They will to conform. They will execute mm-hmm. thousands of people. They will beat children, whatever it is, and they will wear a bra, dye your hair, and wear six-inch heels, even though you can't walk in them, because it's normal. So, and surprise. that's where advertising and marketing and all that Creates stuff is really, really, really important. We all have a brain to go. You know no, what? Barbara, people don't <clears throat> no. want to be different. We're tribal. Conform, you, that conform, comes back conform. to yeah, yeah, tribal. You want to be like yeah. your group. It's like when you're in secondary school, you're either part of this group or yeah. the yeah. emo group. You have to belong. Each time I wear brown eyes, if I need to <clears throat> And I, the, where I really noticed this, and I have a column for that, um, <laughs> was <laughs> the time I went, I was on holidays and there was a nudist beach in a nudist uh, colony in the campsite next <clears> to us. So I said, well, I'll go and check this out. And, uh, and of course, it was in France and, and most of the people in it, of course, are older people. Because, again, like you said, it was a big thing in the 60s and 70s and that. But what I noticed was, so you had all these particularly old people, women who'd clearly had children, yeah. people who were overweight. Mm-hmm. They were all bronze, they'd skin like leather now. Yeah. Uh, no pubic hair. That's a whole other story. And there was one beautiful, gorgeous man. Maybe he was around 40. And, uh, and he was perfect. But he was the freak. Yeah. Yeah, he looked weird and actually suspicious. What was he doing here? When the rest of us were all kind of battered and a bit wrecked, and that really brought it home. Did you go nude just on the beach? Oh, you had to. You weren't allowed in unless you did. Now I did have um, my herbaceous border there. I hadn't been able to groom in time, (laughs) so um, you know that was a whole other. So I was the freak on that score. But what it said to me was, you can establish a norm and you can do it really, really fast. And we did that in COVID. One minute, people who wore masks were weirdos. 
and one month later not wearing a mask was, was the weird thing to do well, kind of that's how fast you can do really really fast so if women give up bras we can get there very oh, quickly yeah, if you don't need one if you don't need one but if you like one oh if you like one yeah fine I just hate the feel of them yeah. I just never now I know there's going to be somebody listening going you never probably got measured for bra and I did once or twice yeah. But but anyway. I mean, there's also the other things like the underarm hair and wearing, you know, or not wearing yeah. antiperspirant. Well, you weren't going out, you weren't going to meet anybody. Yeah. And I always have this fear that, and I'm probably wrong, that, you know, that it might cause some form of cancer I'm if I'm putting saying, this stuff on yeah. me, you know, I if it's stopping a normal and function of sweating. They're actually linked because when you have hair under your arm that draws sweat yeah. away from your skin and it's quite healthy. Yeah. So A, they're selling you on removing the hair. And then secondly, they're you selling you on, thing. now you need the antiperspirant. Yeah. It's but it's very American. Did it all start in America? Because mm-hmm. if you watch mm-hmm. any American media, it's all they slag Germans because they've got hairy pits. Mm-hmm. And it's you, gross. I hate that idea. You're you know? a bit of an expert on this, though, because one of the things you're <laughs> also addicted to is uh, watching that addicted. lovely program on Channel Four. Naked dating. Naked, naked attraction. Sorry, I always called naked dating. No, it's, it's not stupid. Just it shows is you where your mind is. Naked dating. But as I said, it's about the psychology. Uh-huh. Yeah. Of course, it is. That's what the boys But there's never hair. Never a hair. And they always choose the man with, you know, the largest equipment. It's bizarre. But that's nature, kind of. That's what they say. Have you any feelings, any strong feelings one way or the other about... But like, uh, do all young people in Ireland, is it the same in in England and Ireland that Mm -hmm. they don't have any topiary or what did you call it, garden? Uh, uh, Herbaceous borders. Herbaceous borders. And again, yeah, yeah, and it's about about normal. And I remember one time... Is that a big business about hair removal? Oh, totally. Of course it is. But I remember once, several years ago, I was really depressed at the time. I was in real trouble. And one of the challenges I faced was how do I let people know? How do I signal to people that I am not okay? And I remember thinking, if I let hair grow mm-hmm. on my body, yeah. if I stop shaving my legs or under my arms or God forbid allowed facial hair to appear, people would say to me, actually Sarah, is everything all right? That would have been a major a signal. signal to give to people because you just couldn't do it. Clearly something would be dramatically wrong with you one of the if signs, you had hairy legs. <laughs> that is one of the signs of depression when you can't wash your face or wash your hair or shave your legs when you stop caring about just, you know, your your personal uh, oh, do you remember oh, when yeah, Britney yeah, Spears but, but when she had her breakdown she shaved all her hair off do you remember yeah. that Sorry, like when people want to signal I'm yes. in big trouble they yes. shave yeah. stuff off so yeah. the hair yeah. so you're just looking at the person not the fluff and a doctor it. told me that um, an oncologist when they tell women you know they have cancer and mm-hmm. they're going to need uh, chemotherapy the first thing they say is and will I lose my hair it's really it's such primal. a huge part of yeah. very primal but the hair downstairs like are we oh, yeah. are we good with the fact that young people, well, younger people than us, or maybe us, I don't know, think it's cool to have absolutely no pubic hair? I whatsoever. think that is just so weird. Turning people, you, yeah. turning adults into pre-pubescent bodies, yeah. like that is deeply strange. Yeah, but it's I, normal now. Oh, it's normal. And well, they will Sarah, think Sarah's smirking. No. <laughs> <laughs> You already referred to your topiary. I, 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 I change my mind every year on that one. Depends. But you couldn't go to the swimming pool now and have pubic hair peeping out. But are people actually looking? I mean, I would go, and probably because I need glasses, but I would go, and I would notice. I would notice if somebody had pubic hair popping out. Yeah. I think yeah. if you look like a burst mattress, probably. <laughs> People what's the story there? And what's wrong with her? Yeah, yeah what's wrong with her? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's another one of these, like, well, again, I, I don't know. I've never had laser, uh, laser mm-hmm. hair removal. Mm-hmm. But in my day, it was um, 
wax. You know, you got oh, your yeah. bikini oh, yeah. line wax, so you <laughs> didn't do the burst mattress thing. Yeah. That was the most bizarre. Like, I've, I did that a few times. Then I was like, what the it's hell? torture. I'm on that. Have you <laughs> <laughs> Between us, I think we've covered everything. Yeah. <laughs> it was awful, though. It was really painful. The and other hair that's awful, to come back to the whole menopause thing, is the chin hair. Mm. The going into a goat Well, that's where your eyesight goes. Yeah. So you can't see that. I have like 99 tweezers everywhere because they pop up overnight. They do, yeah. It's gross. Yeah, they do, yeah. So have we decided that in COVID people stopped caring about bodily hair but now they've reverted to type? That one hasn't lasted. I don't think they've reverted. The shoes would be a big one. If you go into any shoe shop now, there's a vast array of really nice kind of trainer type flat shoes and the amount of high heels is not there anymore. You know, people have, women have copped that. So that one might stick. I hope so. Yeah. So I think less makeup as well. I think we got used to seeing. Mm-hmm. I have a card on that. I think we got <laughs> used to seeing our naked faces. Do you know when yeah. you? Um, and again, it's the kind of things it's we do subconsciously. Yeah. You know, get up. I'm going out. I'll put makeup on, even if it's only just a bit of slap and mascara and a bit of lipstick or something. I'll put makeup on because that's my face you know, that I show to the world. And I think during COVID, we got used to not putting makeup on for days and days and days and days. And also, if you were wearing a mask, there was yeah. no point yeah. really in putting makeup on. Uh, but I think what what happened then is that you got used to seeing yourself, especially when you were doing Zoom and things like that. Like initially, I was putting a bit of makeup. Now, okay, if I was, ho- like I chaired a couple of things and then, yeah, I would make the effort. That's another point about women and men. But anyway... I think we got used to seeing our naked faces and we're more accepting of our naked faces. Like before COVID, if I went to Dunn's and say, I'm not putting on makeup, I'm just going to fly over and get bread. And then I come and go, oh my God, I met like, you know, an ex-boyfriend or the girl I hated in school who I could see her looking at me going, oh my God, Barbara's really kind of gone to town and letting herself go. Um, again, she okay? The judge. Is she she okay? loved putting on the makeup to go. I would put on makeup to go on screen. I would put on makeup oh, to, to go, go to the screen. shops. Yeah, but to, no, I wouldn't put on makeup yeah, to go no, to the I shops. Did. It was like it something on. to look forward mm-hmm. to. Well, well that's what, the thing about the country makeup. living. So when I'm in the country at home, Never bother with makeup at all. But when I'm coming to town, then tart myself up big time. So I've got my two. But there's a bit lives. of enjoyment in it as yes, well, tarting yourself yeah. up. It's like you know when kids are going to the disco, yeah. they spend hours just getting ready, it's and the that's best most. Oh, I love getting fun. ready if I'm going out. But I don't. If I think I have to run over to the shop to get bread, I'm not going to go upstairs and spend ten minutes putting slap on no. in order to go over to the no. shop and get bread. And then the other thing we've noticed with COVID is that when I come back in, if I have had makeup on because I was out in the world doing something or other, can't wait to take it off when mm, I come in. Yes. Yeah. Like, I, I, before I would have thought, well, leave this on now till I'm going to bed, you know, and I, I, now I just, I feel sticky. Yeah, but because Barbara, you've got do you not put it on for your husband. <laughs> Do you know something? He's let himself go as well. You talk about my grey hair. My hair went grey. He grew a beard. Uh, so he stopped shaving. I hate it too. It's horrible. No, it looks nice. But I don't like the feel of it. But it does look nice. Um, but anyway, Shinna will. Are we done? I think we're done. Have we? Have we, have we, have we, have we nobody else wants to confess to any... Well, well the sun is shining. And we're in we Bally Bunyan. So I think we've got to get to Okay, yeah. well look at Sarah Carey. Angie Mazzetti, Carol Hunt, and me, Barbara Scully. It's been a great conversation, as I knew it would be. Keep your eyes posted on social media for news of an event happening here during Listowel Writers Week in June. And Women in Media will be back full, full on, full conference next year. And don't miss it, because every year I meet people who go, I wish I'd gone to that. It sounded yeah. really good. It's always so fun. So don't yeah. leave it. Get your yeah. tickets, and it's always fun. Um, check out Angie Mazzetti's uh, Women in Leadership podcast uh, when you get a minute for more conversations about God, women. And, and we'll do this again. The trials of women, and we will do this again. Thank you for your company. Thank you.